1: Welcome to the FT World Weekly with me, Daniel Dombey. Almost unnoticed, Africa has become the world's most rapidly urbanising continent. In the next 17 years, the UN predicts, the world's 10 fastest growing cities will be African. So what does this mean for the region? What does it mean for the economy and public safety? What does it mean for people's quality of life? Joining us down the phone is David Pilling, the FT's Africa editor, current in Ghana, And with us in the studio is Barney Jopson, VFT's Middle East and Africa news editor and formerly its East Africa correspondent. David, can you give me a sense of the scale of this phenomenon and where it's taking place?
0: Well, it's really happening uh, right across the continent and the scale is huge. Africa is by far the fastest growing continent uh, in terms of population. I mean, in very rough numbers, the population is about a billion. It will double by 2050 and double again with 4 billion or more by the end of the century. And that phenomenon is happening at the same time as people are moving from the countryside to the cities. So the scale is, is huge, and it's happening really right across Africa's 54 countries.
1: And give us an idea just of some of the examples. I mean, which of the places that are growing fastest, which of the megacities, which of the biggest megacities right now?
0: Sure. Well, I was just in Bamako, which is a city that some listeners may not have even heard of the capital of Mali. At independence in 1960, Bamako was 300,000 people. Maybe no one really knows how many people there are now. It's probably three and a half million. Now, while that's not a huge city, you can see the speed with which it's grown, and that is only continuing apace. At the other end of the scale, you have massive cities like Lagos, which is now 21 million people and sucking in people almost daily. Kinshasa. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, is also a mega city of 10, 10 million people or more. see Cairo is a huge city. Nairobi is growing very fast. And then there are sort of medium cities like Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, a country whose population is also growing extraordinarily quickly, which is moving from being a fairly small city to now a medium-sized city and will begin to push at being a, a mega city itself. So really up and down the continent, you're seeing examples of, of this happening.
1: Now, Barney, you are now um, back in under the dull skies of London, but if you can cast your mind to when you were East Africa correspondent, how did you see this phenomenon on the ground, both where you lived and where you travelled?
2: Well, when I think about uh, urbanisation in, in that region, the image that always comes to mind is the, the informal settlements or the slums or the shanty towns, depending on which words you want to use, which are, are very prevalent in, in Nairobi and in Kenya and Addis Ababa and Ethiopia and Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. They were, they were growing rapidly in the time I was there and you know one of the images I always remember is on early mornings when I was up before the sun rose just the floods of people coming out of the slums in Kenya and going to work in the cities that really brought home that these are an important part of the economies of of these places and I think these settlements often have a kind of an unfair reputation they're perceived as kind of dirty dangerous places and there are certainly public health issues there's certainly crime but there's always a lot more going on and one of the things that struck me as these places grew was That was the residents themselves who had just as much concern about public health issues and crime as as any outsider. So that's one part of it. And then the other part was was what the growth of the middle class looked like. Again, in Nairobi, there were a lot of uh, people with rising incomes uh, in the city. uh, And all around, you'd see the construction of new apartment buildings, um, some of them on on land that had been cleared um, of informal settlements. And, and, And I always remember how it seemed that there were just two architecture firms in Nairobi. Roby who had exactly the same blueprint, that they would roll out all across the city, and every building looked uh, looked identical. And just uh, Barney
1: talked a little bit about that. But what is the economic impact of these huge urban growth, David? What does it mean for the African economy that this is becoming such a rapidly up- urbanizing continent?
0: Well, I think there are two stories which sound contradictory, but sort of pulled in opposite directions. So to, to let me explain. I mean, on the one hand, when people move from the countryside to the city, their productivity should go up and that should fuel growth. I mean, this is largely what has fueled Chinese growth over many decades, uh, people moving from unproductive jobs in the countryside to cities where they become a part of the global economy, where they're inserted into the global economy. And you're seeing some of that happen in Africa. On average, it is certain that there's more production, more productivity going on in African cities than are going on in rural Africa. However, I would argue that Africa is not getting as big a bang from its buck as it should be. One has to be careful talking about Africa. There are 54, 55 constituent countries. But in many of those countries, the cities that are growing up are cities, to some extent, but they don't have all the advantages of cities. I was talking to the lead economist on this subject at the World Bank, and he was talking about the fragmented nature of lots of the cities, the lack of interconnectedness. Um, Bamako, where I was, has no public transport system, for example. Barney mentions people moving from uh, one part of the city to work in others. That's a very common phenomenon, but people are often spending a good proportion of their income just to get to work or walking to work, taking hours and hours. And therefore, you're kind of losing what ought to be the huge productive gain of the city because you have people who are living lives that don't look sometimes that much different from the lives they might be living in the countryside. I met women who were getting up before dawn to go and fetch water. Now, in a city, you would expect water to be piped or at least to a standing pipe fairly near. But some of these people were having to walk for miles to fetch water, to wash and buy water that was delivered by donkey cart. So you can see that unless you have planned cities, unless you have interconnected cities, you're losing some of what ought to be the productivity benefits of of amassing people in these big urban
1: conglomerations. And Barney, just using I mean your experience here, I mean, how much is this a planned phenomenon? How much is it a haphazard phenomenon that constrains the potential that otherwise bringing people together would? yield
2: I don't think it's it's very planned at all in in most cases I mean in generally the growth reflects a couple of things it reflects high birth rates combined with an inflow of migrants from rural areas and where David was in bamako uh, that inflow has been boosted by conflict in the north of uh, Mali where al-qaeda linked group has taken control and, and certainly in conflict zones you get an increase in the inflow into neighboring cities so I don't think it's planned and I think the question for urban policymakers is to what extent they want to invest in making this a more managed phenomena to pick up on the Issue of water. Um, there are many, many cities where they have the, the problems David experienced people wasting a lot of time having to go and collect water because there's not a public water supply. And, and, and certainly in informal settlements, sometimes the view of policymakers is these people don't even have the right to be here. We're not going to provide them with water. But there are other cities where policymakers have got over that and they've decided, okay, we are going to pay to connect these people to the water supply. And that makes a, a huge difference in terms of productivity for the reasons David described.
1: Right. And of course, throughout. Wisconsin- Conversation We have to be clear that there is no template African city. We're talking about 55 different countries and an enormously varied continent. But, David, can you just talk about some of the problems that this urbanization creates? We've talked so far about how urbanization may be falling short of its potential, but is there a downside that goes beyond that in terms of public health risks, public order risks, demands on infrastructure? Where do you see the biggest problems and how do you think they can be overcome?
0: A couple of things here. I mean, going back to the World Bank economist, uh, he mentioned that Africa is now roughly about 40% urban, with a, a, a GDP that he estimated at roughly across the continent of about $1,100 per capita. Now, when Asia reached the same level of urbanization, it had a GDP per capita of $3,500, roughly three times. Now, I mention this because you can see the resources that they have to cope with this huge expansion of, of urban populations are not really adequate. And so their ability to provide the things that we're talking about, to provide the road networks, to provide electricity, to provide water, and to provide public security are not really there. Their ability to plan, insofar as governments can plan, to facilitate job creation, are not really there, which leads to one of the dangers. One of the dangers is that you will have a young urban population that can see all the benefits of living in a city because many people, almost everyone now has mobile phones and increasingly smartphones. And you can imagine the social tensions that that could create if there aren't jobs uh, for people to do. And I think the big concern above all the infrastructural concerns um, which we've talked about and which are related is jobs. And if people don't have jobs, then amassing lots of people in these huge cities could be a, a recipe for real social unrest.
1: And finally, Barney, I mean, isn't this urbanisation testimony to the dynamism of many of these countries, of many of these cities, these populations? And are there any ways in which that's touched you? I mean, in terms of where you've travelled and seen places changed out of recognition in no time at all?
2: Yes, it's kind of very energising in a way to be in these in these fast-growing cities. Again, to come back to Nairobi, it's got a, a real buzz about it. But that is sometimes undermined by some of the infrastructure problems that David talked about there but yes it's got a kind of a buzz there's a there's a mixture of people from different parts of of Kenya and and other parts of East Africa and and that's the kind of energizing melting pot that you can recognize in London or New York or other uh, western capitals.
1: Well thank you very much indeed Barney Jobson and thank you over the line um, David Pilling. We've toured the cities of Africa I'm not quite sure where we're going next week but this week thank you very much indeed. Goodbye.